So, have you ever had a time in your life when you looked forward to something only to find out you've missed it? The disappointment that comes can be troubling, depressing, discouraging. Well, I can remember a time as a child having experienced something like this. One day, my friend invited me to go with her to pick out her new pet. She was going to the pet store. It was a guinea pig. I excitedly asked my mom if I could go, and she said yes. I was one of four, so she was always ready to let us go with someone else. So I readied myself and sat on the curb waiting. I waited and waited and waited. A sudden buzzing caught my attention as the streetlight flicked on. At this point, it was obvious that they were not coming for me. Mom finally called me in for the night, and I was so disappointed. What happened? Why? I can still remember that sinking feeling. You know that sinking feeling in your, in your gut that like, oh. They never came to get me. I had been left behind. Later, I found out that the girl invited me before she asked her parents. Mm. She didn't think to call me and let me know the plans had changed. Well, how is this relating to Second Thessalonians? You know, I missed a trip to the pet store. That's really not, in life's grand scheme of things, not that important. These people thought they missed the coming of Christ, the rapture. Can you imagine here we are, we're serving the Lord, we're loving the Lord, hold, through all this persecution, we're, hold on, hold on, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. And then to hear, oh, here it came. Can you imagine that feeling? So the Thessalonians are distraught because they think they'd missed the rapture and were now living in the day of the Lord. False prophecies and a letter that supposedly had come from Paul are to blame for this. The Thessalonians are now troubled and confused. Paul is writing to them because he wants to clarify the situation and put their minds at ease. Before we get into the text, let's just think back to 1 Thessalonians. Let's review a few things we know about Paul and their relationship to the church in Thessalonica. Um, Paul loved the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were very special to Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul expresses how he felt about them. He said, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. So it wasn't just witnessing to them and walking away, but pouring themselves. And they, he loved them. Uh, next point to think about, he treated them like his spiritual children. In verse 11, of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, it says, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. And then he reminds them of how they came to faith through the message that was shared with them, and that that word is continuing to work in them. Like any good father, when Paul hears this, that his spiritual children are shaken and troubled of mind, he knows he needs to address the issue, and that he does. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord and the gathering together, we ask you not to be sh soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word, by letter, as if it came from us, as, the day, as though the day of the, um, Christ had come. No one deceives you by any means, for that day will not come 
unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Notice how tenderly he walks them through their problem. Not like, oh, God, I roll, oh, guys, remember? No, he's tender about it. He's really tender. Right away, he seeks to put them at ease, and then he systematically deals with the, the erroneous things that they've heard and that they've come to believe. Paul reminds them that the day of the Lord cannot come until certain things take place. Remember the day of the Lord? That was the last time I spoke. <laughs> and uh, that's the time that happens after the rapture. So the rapture and then the day of the Lord. That's what this is, they're thinking they're living in this time period. Um, he then goes on to explain the events that must happen. The day of the Lord will not come until the parting away from the faith comes first and that the man of sin be revealed, which will usher in the tribulation period. Well, some scholars argue the meaning of falling away, and I'm not here to argue it. I'm just going to share with you what I've heard. One translation could mean apostasy, which is the turning of one's back on truth. Or the falling away could mean the departure from earth or the rapture of the church. John Corson makes the point that it actually could be both. He says the tribulation will begin after the world continues to turn its back on truth, and it will come after the church physically departs during the rapture. So either way, when it happens, the Antichrist, another name for the son of perdition, will be revealed, and this will start the period of the tribulation, which will last seven years. If you want to reference this to look up later... Revelation 6, 1-2, describes the Antichrist as one that will be revealed at first as a peacemaker, and that will be for the first three and a half years. During this time, he will broker a deal with Israel, and this is described in Daniel 9, 24-27. Halfway through the seven years, he will break the deal and establish himself as God, demanding the world to worship him. And that's covered in Revelation 13. Paul describes in our passage today the actions the Antichrist will take. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. All right, let's look at the next couple of verses, 5 to 7. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Here Paul is reminding them that this is not the first time he's discussed this with them. The mystery of lawlessness was already at work in Paul's time, and it still is now. He implies that they know what or who is holding back or restraining this until the fullness of time in God's timetable. Time Again, there are conflicting thoughts as to what or who the restrainer is. Some seem to think it is the Holy Spirit that ministers to the church, and when the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit will no longer restrain the evil. I will tell you with absolute certainty, I don't know. And I don't think it needs to be argued. B, 
because I have no intentions of being here when this happens. I plan to be with the Lord forever, as was described back in 1 Thessalonians. So whatever you want to argue, that's fine. I plan to be with him, and what will be will, will be. So let's look on the next couple of verses, 8 to 12. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I just want to say, woo, when I read that, woo, that is so good. Um, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. It's not because God does not love them. They did not receive it. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Did you catch what Paul was saying in verse 8? I said, woo, remember that part? Well, although the lawless one will be fully backed by the power of Satan and will be able to do powerful things, he has an expiration and will be defeated. Right? That's a woo. Hallelujah. The Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 9 goes on to explain where the Antichrist will be getting his power from and what he will do. Notice that Paul explains that during this time, the unrighteous will be deceived because they did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, in 2 Timothy, Paul describes what it will be like in the end times. He describes the depravity of man in the last days. Listen to this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. I, could, I mean, I am going to go on there, but I have to stop. Does that? Are you not already seeing these things? They will consider nothing sacred. Hmm. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Right? They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. This is the one that gets me. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And Paul says to this, stay away from them. That's how the unrighteous are living. Well, thank goodness Paul doesn't end right there because that's very heavy. But he goes on and he says the next few verses, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold fast to the teachings we pass to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. So Paul is describing and sharing the prophecy previously that we just read. And he's doing it 
not for the believers to try to predict the future or to try and set dates. That was not the purpose. Remember why he was writing to them, to bring them comfort, right? So Paul was telling them to bring them comfort and show them that they had not missed it. They did not miss the rapture. In this last section, Paul will spend time reminding them of who they are and what they are to do. He says, we ought to thank God because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. You know, if I was to read this years ago, which I'm sure I have, and I, it's, you know, when you read the word, he reveals things to you in different ways. I think I would have moved on from this verse very quickly. But as I was studying and I was reading this and I really stopped to think about what it means, I really am amazed, so thankful that God would choose me. Jesus died on the cross thousands of years ago, right? And the good news got to me. What it took for it to get to me. And the fact that that wasn't even it. God's not like just like, I just want you to get saved. But that by the word and the spirit working through the word, he's not leaving me the way I was. He's changing me and growing me and using the word to refine, to, to show me the areas in my life when I'm like, oh, yeah, that. And he's not mad at me. He loves me, and he does it because he loves me. Isn't that amazing? Like, if all of you were to share how you came to know the Lord, it's a miracle. Really, I got stuck on that verse. As we do share at table time, just share briefly. What is that miracle that brought you to Christ? And that he's still using the Spirit of God through the Word to change you. I th that's just, to me, I can't get over that. And so, so encouraging. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. Have you ever seen those rock tumblers? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? A rock tumbler? Oh, man. Okay. Years ago, I guess when I was a child, they had these machines, and you would get these really ugly-looking rocks and you would put them into this, and this machine would tumble it and 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 tumble it, and tumble it, and tumble it until when it was done, and it would take a long time to get done. But when it was done, the rocks came out beautiful, polished, shined. It was gorgeous. I never got one. I'm just saying. But it's still, it's still, it's still appropriate here because that's what he's doing. He's refining us. He's not that rock he put in there. He's not leaving it like that. He wants us to keep growing in him and changing and studying his word and following after him and being in fellowship with one another. So, okay, back to this. Um, so Paul's saying, guess what? You didn't miss it. I promise you. Look, I told you all these things. And he does say um, that we should give thanks um, and then, this is the best part. Don't miss this one. Ready? He says, we get to share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to miss all this stuff he just mentioned before. Like, that's really exciting 
to not have to deal with all the tribulation that's going to come and the wrath of God that I really do deserve, that he lets me skip that. That is amazing. With this in mind, Paul tells them to stand firm, to hold to the teachings that were passed on to them. You know, we have the teachings. You're looking at them, right? The word. We need to do as James tells us in chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then finally at the end, Paul wraps it up. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So he closes this section. He's telling them, your hope is in Jesus, right? That's where your encouragement. It's for this reason we are to serve him with what we do and what we say. You know, to steal a little thunder from the homework we did, I was really stuck at that last part, the grow stronger together. I hope you really felt the Lord speaking to you through those verses. But I just want to read a little bit of what it says, and this will close. We are to meditate on the word day and night and be strong and courageous, not sit and wait. That's next time. That's our last study. We're not just going to sit and wait, right? Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of mockers. Delight in the law of the Lord. Put on the armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. The Lord knows who are his. Oh, that was good. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness and submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's pray.